On fossil downs and cane grass station in a million homes across the nation, they're tuning in Australia on a Sunday morning. Well, I'm a farmer. I've been a farmer all my life. But at the moment now, I've been in uh, Shandong province in China for the last three years farming there. We grow wheat and we grow corn. 5,000 acres of crops. Yeah, we grow crops to feed the cows. We've got two dairies. And how'd you get that gig? Uh, it's a long story, but yeah, basically uh, a friend of mine was doing a similar gig and he recommended me. I'd sort of semi-retired and opportunity came up and I thought, let's do it. Yeah, it's amazing. Food's been a big thing there for a long time. It's the biggest game in town. Food is very, very big. Cooking it, growing it, eating it is the biggest thing yeah. happening. But their biggest contentious issue at the moment is the African swine fever has just decimated their pork herd down to 20%. So they're massively searching for protein and buying beef and beef's tripled in the last three months and big demand from Australia and everywhere in the world. So Leo, what's it like living in China? Uh, yeah, it's different. It's amazing actually. It's, it's, people say, do you like it and love it? And I say, well, probably not the right words. Challenging's the word you use every day. Very challenging. Mm. And what's the food like? You, do you eat Chinese all the time? Or no, I don't. The Chinese food in China is totally different to what you eat in a Chinese restaurant in Australia. Uh, Australian Chinese restaurants are, are McDonaldized. The, the Chinese food in China is very, very, very different. They eat everything. <laughs> All parts of everything. <laughs> well, that's what they eat. They eat every part of every animal. Six sheep, try saying that when you're half asleep. And Eileen reckon one sheep started snoring. Doesn't matter who you are, on Sunday morning, you're the star. You're all in Macca's green room on a Sunday morning. I start my week with Macca on Sunday morning. I do. Good morning. Welcome to the program. That was Leo. I'm just trying to find a little track by his daughter. That was Leo Cosgrove. I spoke to him at Tamworth. I wonder if there's going to be anything that will happen at Tamworth because, uh, you know, things are loosening up, aren't they? I think uh, somebody told me the other day that I think there are some limited tickets available for the uh, Country Music Awards. Um, so maybe things are opening up a little around the place. But that was Leo. I spoke to him at Tamworth. Well, that was this year, wasn't it, Kel? It was, it was this year. I kept thinking it was last year. But it was this year. And he was, uh, on his, he was in Tamworth because his, his daughter, Elle, uh, I'll play you a little spasm of Elle. Have a listen to Elle. This is his daughter. She was up for an award, um, I don't know, Best New Talent or something. I'm not sure. But this is Elle. She's different. Not bad. Honey, take my hand now. Show you my own. Roasting coffee, Rocky Mountains. Carpet in snow. Australian summer, red dirt ocean. I think she said Australian summer, red dirt ocean. I think. Johnny, when you take my hand, you'll hide it's my own. Sort of nice in some different way. That's ill. And as I said, Leo was there in Tamworth because his daughter was uh, playing there and uh, I got to talk to him and he was he works in China. I've tried to ring him between then and now, but I'm not sure he wants to talk to us. If you know what I mean, uh, it'd be a different place being in China, living and working in China now, but he's an Australian farmer and he knows what he's doing. See, so a lot of, a lot of Australians are over in China. But um, I think the best thing is just when I find rude people, I just ignore them. 
Uh, rude people, whether they send emails or whatever, I just ignore them. And I think that's a good way to deal with people in life, um, whether they're countries or people. But anyway, our number this morning, 1300 700 222. Um, Fiona's from Adelaide. She says, I was shocked um, and really crossed to hear about the removal of some of those Manly Ferries. So much so I dug out the Manly Ferry song by Judy Small, which encompasses much more than economics. More like identity and experience, an iconic Sydney not to be lost. Have a listen, says Fiona from the Adelaide Hills. See, even Fiona in the Adelaide Hills knows about those iconic... We'll uh, mention that in the uh, All Over News, which is coming up uh, this morning. Um, Last October, says Luke, I was in stage four lockdown in Melbourne, lying in bed and watching a doco of a bloke who paddled the Yukon River in Alaska. I wondered... Hmm, he's written, hmm, with all those M's. Could you paddle down the entire River Murray? Next day I woke up, did some research, this is Luke talking, and found you can 100% paddle down the whole river. Uh, Thought more about it for a few days and thought if there ever was a silver stroke gold lining I could find from COVID, then this was it. So I pushed the button and bought a kayak online. I've been organising the trip ever since. I've never kayaked before or gone camping by myself, but in the true Aussie spirit, <laughs> I was going to say stupidity, uh, uh, Luke, but it's not. But, yeah, be careful. I've never kayaked before and never gone camping by myself. But in the true Aussie spirit, I thought, how hard can, how hard can it be? Uh, sh- the kayak's called HMAS She'll Be Right. Her Majesty's Australian ship, She'll Be Right, Kel. As people keep saying to me, what are you going to do, mate, if this happens or if this happens or it's a very long way or what about snakes? I just kept replying with, she'll be right, mate. I'd love to call in from time to time if that's okay. Yeah, well, Luke certainly is. If you've got a story, it's always okay. Uh, And Paula, this is quite a long um, Facebook conversation, but I'll read it from time to time as we go through the morning. Hi, Ian. As we move through November into December, we think back to last year. We were in deep despair about the drought that never seemed to end and when we watched the skies for signs of bushfires. Now, as I walk, I reflect on the changes and wrote this piece. Now, today, as I walk, the paddocks glisten with raindrops from the night before and the stands of plains grass are so tall they hang gracefully and bend to bless the earth. Above me, the sky is an uncluttered blue. Perfect. Tony, can I get a cup of tea? Thank you. Above me, the sky is an uncluttered blue. Perfect. Not a cloud in the sky. A small mob of roos leap across my path as they come up from the creek, which is gurgling and flowing. Our tanks are full and even the creaky windmills are turning. The bores are working well. Then, my morning walks were harsh across dry, rocky ground. There is no cushion on my feet and the paddocks are bare and raised by the sun and lack of moisture. We watch the sky for any hopeful clouds over the ranges and are glued to the bomb. That's the Bureau. We take in all the old wisdom from locals about ants swarming and the cries of king parrots. We even set up a shrine to the rain gods and try to maintain hope. The creek is just a bed of dry white stones, not even a waterhole. The native animals seek out water. Snakes twist around my watering cans and try to slither under my doors. Old roos venture into my garden searching for some green pick and to sneak a drink from my bowls. 
It's called Now and Then, and she goes, uh, Paula goes on, and I'll read it uh, as we go through the morning. It was interesting when I spoke to one of the blokes, um, I think it was a bloke, a couple of weeks ago about um, the rain and the harvest and how things had recovered, and they sort of said uh, they never thought it would recover because of all not only the drought but all the dust storms they had. But um, according to him, the land had kicked back better than ever. But it'll do that, won't it, after bushfires especially, because it see the ash in bushfires must be very conducive to growth. That's what our gardening bloke said. He was using the coffee grounds for his uh, for his plants. He said the only thing better than coffee grounds is ash, but he said it's too expensive. So there you go. Uh, our number this morning, 1300 700 222, wherever you are. I'd love to talk to you. Uh, g'day, this is Macca. Good morning, Ian. It's uh, George from Bakery in the Riverland. G'day, George. I'm up, a, I'm up and about. Um, <laughs> and the reason I've got time to talk to you this morning is we've just about finished harvest. There you go. Uh, I've got a, got a chance to have a chat to you today. We've been going pretty hard since oh, the first week in November. Yeah. And harvesting what? Canola or barley or wheat or what? A little little bit of canola, not much canola, but uh, mainly out here, mainly wheat and barley, mm. and um, and they've been pretty good. A lot a lot of wheat this year, a lot of wheat this year. Um, when it all went a bit crook with with barley, with with China there, uh, didn't put as much barley in as blokes normally put in. Uh, looked for a lot more wheat then. Um, a lot of wheat wheat went in this year, and the crops been oh. It's, oh it makes everyone feel really, really happy. The crop's been really, really good. And, now, it's, and it's work for everyone, you know. Yeah. yeah, a lot of work around. Now, George, tell me this because I was, I've been talking about the harvest over the last three or four weeks and, and it's nice to get some good news. It's been a, well, not just a stinking year this year. I mean, look at the drought year and look at the floods and bushfires and things like that. So everybody, and, and one bloke said to me, he said, oh, look, some people are keeping their wheat on the farm, Ian, and I suppose they keep it around till the price is better because... I suppose what happens when everybody's getting a good harvest, or lots of people, are, even in Western Australia, some places are getting a good harvest. Um, so I suppose the price goes down a bit. Is that the story? It's not as good as it could be, and is that why you keep it on farm for a while and maybe take advantage of a price at another time? Um, the, the, um, you know, price, uh, prices are prices. Um, no, not a lot we could do about them. Mm. Um, I think the prices are they're, they're okay at the moment. They they were a lot. They're a lot better than, gosh, when that stuff first arced up with China. Mm. Looking down the barrel there, it was looking pretty ordinary there for a while. But a couple of other countries throughout the world markets have sort of stepped in and, and helped a, a fair bit there. And prices have certainly come in. And, and look, they're okay. They're, you know, they're okay. You're, you're always, you know, you always want a bit more if you can get a bit more. But look, honestly, just at the moment, uh, just at the moment, they're okay. And uh, keeping far, um, grain on farm, um, well, yeah, sometimes you do that. That's for sure. Sometimes you do that. But um, 17, 18, and 19 were pretty, pretty ordinary. You know, almost non-existent, really. Uh, so this year, uh, the whole objective was um, get the headers into the into the crop there, get that crop off, get it off the property, get off the property, get it into the silos, get the stuff sold up. Um, you know, get that cash flow, you know, happening so that everything can, everything can keep moving around. Yeah, for everybody. Mm. So uh, there may there may be 
grain stored in other areas, but um, I, I haven't heard haven't heard much of grain being stored on property around here this year. Not that I've heard of, anyway. But the good thing, I suppose, yeah. is is as you say that a lot of work around for everyone, which is good, because um, uh, uh, that's that's much needed. And uh, yeah, it's good to see people. I like the bloke in the at Grain Corp in New South Wales. He said where he was. He said yeah. we're employing two hundred people this year, which is two hundred more than last year. <laughs> Oh yeah, you go you go down to places like um, um, one of the places we go to is is Roseworthy, the Viterra silos down there at Roseworthy, and you see a lot of the um, lot of the young. Well, they look young to me. They, well, they are young really, uh, but they do look young to me. And you figure, oh, they must be uni students or something, and and they're all getting a job there for. Um, you know, a month or two, and uh, so it just helps for everything to go around. And then, you know, all the truck drivers and the guys selling tyres and oil and filters and, get, and you know, diesel and, you know, just fan belts, and it just all goes on and on and on. And then with a the good season, Christmas is coming, and you're thinking, yeah, I can buy one of those and I can buy one of them. Like yesterday, I went and bought some, ah, uh, well, it doesn't matter what I bought yesterday, but, um, you know, you've You've made a bit of money, so you think, oh, yeah, I can go spend something in the shop. So off you go and, and buy a few things for Christmas, and it just uh, just makes everyone feel good. It's just it's a good thing. Yeah, and we've had a bit of rain again yesterday. We had six mil here yesterday, and uh, during harvest, uh, the weeds, the weeds, <laughs> the weeds never give up. <laughs> they never stop. So uh, they keep growing underneath the crop there, and as soon as the crop gets off, you can see all the weeds coming up mm. through the crop. So it'll be straight into straight into the spray and then, you know, like they say, no rest for the wicked. Not that us farmers are wicked. We're all good people. <laughs> good yeah. on you, George. Good yeah. luck, mate. Thank and you that... very much. And and you really do you really do put the light in the week. To hear you on Sunday morning is just like the best thing ever. It's Ray, is it, in Port Macquarie? Yes, that's right, Macca. It's a long time since I've spoken to you. I spoke to you on the 22nd of October 1989. I'd, I'd been in, I was a um, doctor at the Grafton bus disaster, and um, I, I told you about it a few days later. Oh, but really? uh, over the years, I've been a doctor for about 40 years now, <laughs> and you know, I've spent my whole time in rural Australia. I've never, I've never worked in Sydney, and I'm living up at Port Macquarie now. But I, I go out and do some work out in. Still going to do work out west. I've been going out for about 15 years out to western New South Wales. I spent five months in Burke, six months in Lightning Ridge. Did Dunlocums in Brewarrina, Collarenabri, Canamble, Condoblin, Inverell. Um, you know, I've worked in most of the towns. Um, but uh, um, there you go. I was just going to say, Ray... Um... If you've been doing that, you must uh, get something out of that. Why? Have you, is there any reason you've stuck uh, to the country and travelled around oh, and done locums? I, 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 I get so, so much so much personal satisfaction out of doing it because there is, there's always when I it's the it's the League of Nations of countries of doctors who work out there because they can't get Australian doctors to work out there. So um, you get people from South Africa. It used to be people from South Africa, then um, Sri Lanka, and now you've got oh, the folks I'm working with in um, Kobar at the moment. They're from Iran and oh, was it? Nepal. Uh, 
Yeah, no, there's there's very few Australian doctors work out there. And but you get such um, you you do such magic things. You know, you say you actually you you, know, you proper practice proper medicine. You save people's lives. It's wonderful um, work. And but it's so under doctored. <laughs> they've got yeah. they've got to the stage now in the hospitals out there. They use virtual doctors. You ever heard of a virtual doctor? Yeah, I have. The consulting and, right. and and while that can be better than nothing, I'm I'm sure it's better than nothing. Yeah, I'm and sure. No, that... no, it's great. It's still better than nothing. Mm. It's better than not having a doctor at all. Exactly. They wheel in a TV screen and you talk to the TV screen. The doctor I talked to when I was in the hospital at um, Condobin, he was down in Manly, in his in his nice overlooking the ocean in Manly, and, and it's it's lovely, but it's still. You know, it's not hands-on. You don't get the personal yeah. touch. Ray, tell me, I remember your call in 1989. You wouldn't believe that, but I, but because it was so emotional. It was after the Grafton yeah, bus disaster, right. and you were very emotional at the time, I remember. That's right, um, yeah. And uh, I suppose that still plays tricks with you, does it? Yeah, yeah, I still have memories of that. I um, campaigned for many years to upgrade the highway. And in um, 2012, I organised a protest march at Yurunga after a little boy got run over, Max McGregor, in his house and got squashed by a B-double while he was asleep on school holidays. And about three weeks after that, the government announced that they'll get a fund, the upgrade of the Pacific Highway, and now it's finished, and it's it's wonderful. It was just finished the, the other day, wasn't it? I, I think I read yeah, the other day, just, a just, week or three ago. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's only finished the last few weeks, yeah. Mm. But it um, cut the death toll by massive numbers. It's really good. Ray, uh, it's great to talk to you, mate. It's nice to know. That's, it's taken you a while. It's only 30 years since you rang. <laughs> but I, I, this one other story. Is, when I was out in Co, what makes it all worthwhile? Is I was out in Cobart just about a month ago. And I was yarning to the there's a, a the local vet there. I'm not vet, a local dentist and his wife, and they're both dentists and they work out there in the Australian. And, and it's unusual to have Australians working out there. And the and I was yelling to his to the to Charlie, the the husband, and he said he came from Will Maringal, and I knew Will Maringal. It's about 100 kilometres north of Brewarna, if you know where that is. It's in the middle of nowhere. Yep. It's all dirt roads. Mm. Anyway, when I was working at he, he said his father had a bad accident on a motorbike out there. He ran into a tree and he broke his. He had a bad head injury, broke his neck, and and the nearest hospital was Brewarna. And they brought him down to Brewarna, and I looked after him all day. I didn't. I didn't realise who it wasn't mate, at the time, but afterwards I realised that I'd looked after his father all day. I was the only doctor in Bawarana, and I had to keep his father alive till a retrieval. The Royal Flying Doctor came up and took him away to Sydney, and he spent three three weeks in mm-hmm. intensive care at RPA, and he's fully recovered, and he and he's back on his property. And that good? happened in two, 2007. Great story. Um, it's a great story, and and then the son, he you know it was a really emotional moment, and the son said to me, "I oh, guess Ray, I should thank you for saving my father's life," and that made me feel really good. It made me feel right. good about the fact that I'd been a country GP. Keep up the good work, Ray. Good on you, mate. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you, mate. See okay. you, mate. Bye. See you, mate. Bye bye. 
Yeah, good morning, Macca. It's Marion here from Mount Bruno. Oh, where's Mount Bruno, Marion, for the rest of us? Right, northeast Victoria, God's own country. Um, <laughs> Everybody we, says that's God's own country, Marion. <laughs> we are very, very lucky here in Australia yeah. because everywhere in Australia is God's own country. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and what's happening, uh, Marion? What are you doing? Uh, yeah, look, we've got Cherrybrook Cherry Farm down here in northeast Victoria. We've been growing cherries here since 1992. Um, we bought the place in 1989. Um, I came in and saw you in 2005 because in, in 1999, we started doing the cherry run for um, the Variety Club. All right. And uh, we've done it ever since until last year and then this year. You know, the drought has been a bit sad for us, but look, I'm happy that we've still got some cherries and we've got some beautiful cherries. They're not as big as they used to be. So we won't sort of be doing the cherry run again this year because I don't want to disappoint people. I don't want them to see that they're small cherries. Mm -hmm. They are not as big as they used to be, but they are still good cherries. They're good size. They're reasonable size. They're what we used to think were big cherries in the old days. (laughs) Of course, today with varieties, things have changed. But, um, yeah. Sorry, when you say they're not uh, they're not as big as they used to be, is that because of a couple of years of drought, or do you have to pull them out and you've got younger trees, or what's the story? No, no, no. Look, it's a, it's a bit of doubles. It's, uh, yeah, look, we haven't had the water to be able to put on them on them to give them size. Um, as far as uh, having to pull, we've had a few die with, uh, with the drought and things like that. We've lost a few and we've replanted some, so we've got some young ones as well. But generally speaking, I mean, there's still real cherries. And uh, uh, people, when we first started doing variety, um, we were a young orchard. We'd done six or seven years of, of good um, plantings and, and water, everything else. And so we were giving people good, really big cherries. And so once you do that, <laughs> they expect it all the time. Exactly. Isn't that a parable for life? Isn't it really, eh? Once it is, it you, there's is. a song, there's a song, an old blues song that says, once you've had... When you've ever, when you, once you've had a hundred, ninety-nine and a half won't do. Um, <laughs> if you've ever had a hundred, ninety-nine and a half won't do. That's that's what you're saying, isn't it? Oh, well, look, it is. But look, for us, it does do. And and the people that keep coming back to us are just wonderful. We've actually changed our operation a fair bit here now because we're getting older, as you can probably guess. No, um, well, yeah, you're, I'd, I'd reckon you're thirty-four. That's what you sound oh, like, thirty-four, thirty-five, probably. Only 29 last week, but yeah. yeah. Um, look, we what we do a lot here now is we do pick your own so people can come in and pick their own. They can choose the biggest ones they want to off the trees. Yeah. And um, we sell from Farmgate, and, and that's the majority of our marketing now and a few farmers' markets, uh, mainly because um, it's going harder and harder for us. We're only a small family farm. There's only my husband and I, the only two that are here, and my brother, who we, you did need in Sydney because he was the one who did all the work for the variety and has, still has a car in the variety bash. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he's here working with us as well at the moment, has been here for the last seven weeks and will be here for another two weeks. And then we are finished. Our what? cherries are gone. <laughs> yeah. D- tell me about the cherry market. I know, for instance, I know there was uh, three or four big farms in uh, Tasmania that were bought by overseas interests, shall we say. Um, 
uh, uh, most cherry farming is it going big and corporate and like a lot of farming and um, and small people like you have to you know make your own arrangements. Look, you've hit it right, hit the nail right on the head because that is exactly what's happened with the and it's not only just the overseas interests. There are local interests as well. Like there are. Um, long fam families that have been growing cherries for generations here who are expanding because their children are taking over farms and they're able to expand and that sort of thing is happening. So they're becoming bigger and they're becoming better and they're looking at overseas markets and they're doing all the things that they need to do to run the business efficiently. Um, and that to me is a good thing because it shows cherries are still fantastic. They get out to the rest of the world. We still grow the best product. doesn't matter who's growing it. <laughs> Best product. Mm. So, you know, it's and, and us smaller people, it's too hard for us to work in the export market um, and in the, uh, in the domestic market. We like to sort of think, well, we can supply the best that we can. Um, you know, we're exporters ringing us um, saying, you know, we'd like to see your fruit like, to find export again. Listen, Marion, your phone is uh, breaking up a bit, doll. Um, uh, are you moving? You're walking around, highly agitated. <laughs> no, no, not agitated. No, no, no. It's just I'm actually sending. <laughs> oh, that's good. It's just, oh, it's 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 the way our towers our towers here work. <laughs> oh, the towers don't work. Yeah, it's the yeah. way. It's the way our towers here don't work. Um, yeah, but I, just, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> No, it's probably it's funny, isn't it? I mean, again, if you've ever had a hundred ninety nine and a half won't do, and I suppose we we get a bit spoilt uh, often with um, with communications and all that sort of stuff and technology. But uh, and when it doesn't work, you think, jeez. Oh, so, Marion, uh, yeah. things are things are. When when's your cherry season end? We'll we'll be finished uh, probably the week before Christmas. And I spoke uh, to uh, speaking on the Variety Club batch. I met a cherry grower. He wasn't. Uh, uh, related to you, but he said to me, uh, Ian, we need a cold winter. The colder, the better, because it sets the fruit in some sort of a way. Is that right? Did you have a cold winter? Look, yeah, we had a cold winter, and we have what we have in the orchard is very, very good, and, and we've got a good set. We're happy with what we have. We just want people to come to the farm and see, um, see our valley. We live in a beautiful valley here. I'll have, um, I'll have to come, Marion. I'll have to come. Um, uh, I'll bring my <laughs> mobile phone. Um <laughs> Yeah, right. You've got to be with the right connector to be able to get any service. <laughs> Good on you. I've got to fly, but nice to talk to you, Marion. I'll, I'll come to Cherrybrook sometime, okay? That'd be lovely. Thanks, Max. See Good, you later. Good on you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Good morning, Ian. This is Russell Fossil up on Fraser Island. How are you? Oh, day, Russell. Yes, I talk to Russell uh, from time to time, mostly around Anzac Day, Russell. But uh, how's things on Fraser? Very challenging at the moment uh, with the there's been a bushfire that's been running for about oh, about six weeks now that started up uh, well towards the north end of the island and uh, it uh, with the winds it's pushed both north and south so it's reached it's virtually reached Sandy Cape about 30 k's north of where it started and moved about 60 to 70 k south where it's threatening Kingfisher Bay. Uh, resort and uh, also uh, across on the eastern beach been challenging a number of places so it's burned out about 80 something thousand hectares of the island so about half the island 
See, the thing I don't understand, Russell, and it was the same with the bushfires last year, the bushfire last year that, that burnt out much of New South Wales had been burning for months and months and months. And we don't, <clears throat> excuse me, seem to have the capacity. I've always said we should have this fleet of helicopters or something, for God's sake. And this one on Fraser's been burning for a, a, a good while and all of a sudden conditions change and it becomes a real danger. Um Seems to me strike while the iron hot. Is that what your grandma said? Yeah, something like that. Um, and look, that's an interesting view. And the Premier in Queensland's announced that there's going to be a bit of a review of, of preparedness and response because there was, there are some uncertainties as to whether it could have been dealt with earlier. But uh, when you listen to the fireys, though, they will always say that for a big bushfire, the only thing that can put out a big bushfire is a big storm or big rain. Um, that it, uh, the, the air support will allow the uh, trucks to get in close and attack so that it can suppress it can, and steer the fire, but it can't necessarily uh, put it out. Mm. And uh, so, because there's right now we've got about 18 aircraft that are in support roles here on, on Fraser where they're um, uh, uh, doing water bombing. There's, the biggest one is a, a Dash 8 size aircraft and uh, a number of small boss aircraft as they're called that uh, got float planes that land and fill off as they, they run along and um, helicopters that have a bucket and helicopter that has a water tank um, which is a pretty impressive we, we extended the helipad here in happy valley and uh, happy valley. made it safe to uh, for the for the chopper to come in and fill and it uh, draws about 2800 liters uh, through a suction pipe down into a, what's called a collar tank. And it does that in about uh, just short of 30 seconds, hovering above the tank and uh, for fresh water. So it's a so, pretty impressive job when they do it. Yes, I'll say, Russell, so have most people been evacuated from Fraser or what's the story there? All the, pretty well, all the guests, visitors have uh, pretty well left. Those, the owners and uh, members of the uh, Bushfire brigades and the various other emergency services are all allowed to stay. And uh, I'm a member of the Happy Valley uh, Rural Fire Brigade and president of our Happy Valley Community Association. But uh, we started our planning about 12 months ago with things like water tanks for the fire trucks and uh, and trimming and managing uh, some fire breaks and doing some very small controlled burns. So uh, as a township, we've done a lot of preparation and the whole community's really come together well. It's uh, it, it's been fortunate that we've had that planning already in place to make it possible. And we're also fortunate we've got a fellow who's a, uh, a, a ex-fire uh, from the fire brigade who uh, is able to lead us, Winston Williams. He's, uh, he fought, he's fought down in Black Saturday down in Victoria and so he's He's seen it and understands it, and mm. so he's been a great guide to us to how to manage. But he's the one who says you can't put out a big fire except by a big storm, by rain. Mm. So we've got to hope for rain at one stage to, to to help us. Well, good luck, Russell, that's all I can say, and uh, hopefully that big storm's just around the corner, but um, I'm not sure if it's uh, around yet, but there's supposed to be rain coming, but... When that comes, and uh, maybe you'll have to wait till then. I think with the other bushfire, they had to wait really till rain came and finally put it out. Yeah, yeah. So it's 
uh, it's an interesting time up here, but the, a lot of community spirit and a lot of effort has gone in, and that uh, you know, the, as a town, we've been seen as a sort of a, a bit of a guide to others as to how to get on and 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 as a community uh, get on and do things to, as a community. It's been uh, it's been a fantastic exercise this last twelve months coming together that we've got to feel as though we we can cope. We can we're prepared. Well, we've got a lot of experience in Australia now, haven't we? It's, we seem to do all the time. But that's what if you live in Australia, you're going to have bushfires. I mean, that's the it's just how you deal with them, I suppose. Is the um, is the talking point part of the Australian bush, isn't it? It's part of its rejuvenation. Mm. So, but uh, but certainly it's a concern up here for the, just the extent and how far it's gone. And whilst it's been a slow burning fire, it's very extensive. So there's a lot of people concerned about just the, the wildlife on the island and what impact it will have on on habitat for them when it's just so extensive and how many have been able to keep ahead of the fire exactly. over enormous long distances for, for, for animals, for dingoes, birds, snakes, um, to be able to keep moving that, that 60K or 70K to, to stay ahead of it. Good on you, Russell. Okay. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Take care. Right. Bye. My guest in the studio this morning is Nairi Hobbins. Nairi's from Tassie. Uh, Nairi, how was uh, you were locked down in for a while? What six months in? Yeah, Tassie? well, we have we've, the borders have been closed. So you know, we have a moat, so we've been yeah. pretty lucky, really. But anyway, um, and but you know, I think it's just what we've all had to do, and I think people have adapted. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, a lot of my work is interstate, so I haven't been able to do that, but. I did manage to spend some time writing this book that's just come out and I and I was able to do a lot of work online. And some of that's great, you know, to pivot and some of it is um, challenging to sit in front of a computer screen working. Mm. But, um, you know, I think, pe- I think, you know, Australians are resilient and whatever possible, we've actually got on with it. And I'm now able to see my, you know, family in interstate, which is great. And we're all careful. So, you know, I... I think that's I don't know. I think I think we just we just live with it and and one really interesting thing from a food point of view especially in Tassie but I think it's happened all over the place is people have started to embrace more you know lots more people have grown things grown food themselves yeah. and embrace things you know I I managed to develop sourdough <laughs> and you know all those things that you do because you're at home and you have time and my garden has so benefited just because I've been there mm. and able to keep going and I think a lot of people have found that and actually really got, oh, you know, I've managed to grow some tomatoes. I've managed to grow some herbs. And when it comes to health, you know, and food, and especially as you get older, those are the secrets. It's eating as many different like, things, as many things as close as possible to the way they came off the land or yeah. out of the water or off, out of the tree or out of the ground. You say that's what our parents and grandparents did. Yeah, and th- really um, there's lots of evidence that these ultra-processed foods are beginning to be a real worry and we wonder so it's not that you can't eat the occasional thing you know eat some food that's been that doesn't bear much resemblance to the way it started out and some things have to be changed like we don't eat wheat grains whole but we tend to we make something but bread isn't very many steps from that wheat grain so you know that's not a problem but when you eat a lot of things that have got no resemblance to the way they started out there's growing evidence that that drives something called chronic inflammation, which is strongly thought to be a driver of chronic of cognitive issues and and other issues in the body. So, you know, the more of the good things, you know, the ba- the basic fresh food, you mm. know, 
when, when in my email that I sent you, we talked about, you know, fish and meat. Now, yes. That's what I was going to ask you because yeah. we were talking about fish and, we'd, mm. and then we had that story from the bloke from that little – and I've got his email there. You can go online because they wanted to keep their own little fishery um, over there in, in South Australia and um, and we were talking about 60 70% and, and you, you said in your email that – we don't know where a lot of that comes from, you know, yeah. or where it's where it's farmed, and and yet people eat it. And they tend, what are they shunning meat or the? Um, look, and, and, what and happens that... is is there's there's two things. As you, when you're older, if you're older than seventy, you need more protein than a younger person. So you need to be really looking at protein foods. And of course, meat and fish are protein foods, along with other things. Um, and the Mediterranean diet push, which is fine because that's all fresh, seasonal, local food. It's great. Tends to say things like. Eat more fish and eat less red meat. Fine, that there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But if you look at if you're living in Ivanhoe, or you know somewhere in in the in away from the coast or away from a big river, and you're not able to access seafood that you know the source of and you know it's come out of local water, if you go into the local supermarket, you can't always tell exactly no. where it's come from. And some of that fish has come from waters that may not be very safe. And so if you've got the choice between that, not not sure where it came from, and meat from the paddock next door, yeah. I personally think that you're better off eating the stuff you know its, its, its origins and you've got a reasonable idea it's come from a local place. And then you eat lots of fruit and vegetables along with it. So it's the black and white, don't eat red meat, eat, or eat lots and lots of fish, doesn't work for everyone. If you're at the coast... And you're fishing, great. And if you're able to access good things, fantastic. But mix it up, you know, mix it up. And so, you know, it's it's just this. And, I, you know, for older people, a lot of them, if they've grown up on the land and they've grown their own, you know, beasts and they've, they've killed their own meat, then they're worried about eating something rather that they know its origins. And what we have to remember in Australia too is the majority of our, our beef particularly or our red meat is grass-fed. Mm. It's not the same as what they're eating overseas, which is majority grain-fed, which is a whole other area. So it's it's really just a message of fresh, seasonal, local, and the fact that things are different. Mm. So that book, you know, The Brain Body Food, which has just come out, it's all about that. I think the subtitle, what does it say? Guide to Thriving into Later Life. Thriving into Later Age and Reducing Dementia Risk. And yeah. everybody's... That's the that's the disease of old age, really, isn't it? Well, well, you know, it, the one thing that you have to remember about dementia is that yes, it's scary. But if thirty percent of people over eighty five have a diagnosis of dementia, which is not a great statistic, what you have to remember is seventy percent of people over eighty five do not mm. do not. The vast majority of people live into their advanced old age without a dementia diagnosis. So we know there are things we can do to prevent and to, to, to do the best to reduce our risk. And that's what I write and talk about, you know, trying to give you all the things. And interestingly, when I came in, we were t- you were talking about silence. Oh, yeah. Now, food is one thing, but as far as your brain goes, you have to have other things. You have to give it stuff to keep it interested in learning. You have to stay active because that pumps blood around your brain. Mm. But those times, those down times you give your brain, the times when you're in the bush and you're not hearing any mechanical noises or when you just give yourself a chance to lie on the grass and look up at the sky or you watch the falling star that you're talking about, Mm. those times give your brain a chance to just settle and that's just as important.
so, the silence of a falling, yeah. star, falling yeah. star. And I just thought of that that, that line when, when I heard it again because it's a great song and I know most of the words of his songs. The silence of a falling star. And I thought, yeah, yeah. you're out there, nothing's happening. And this great thing is happening, this star's falling, but there's no noise. You're just watching it. It's just... Yeah. And it's like doing a good show on stage. It's all about light and shade. It's, exactly, exactly. It, yeah. And that's one of the things you have to remember when you're looking at living well, you know, into your later years. You have to think of balancing all those things. And, of course, food is a joy to mm. most people. So you need to find the joy because that's important, mm. but you also need to make sure that you're going to keep that body going because – We've suddenly got, we've suddenly got, we're lucky to have an extra 30 or 40 years than what our grandparents might have had. Mm. And we want those to be good. Far too often I see the dwindle, the slow dwindle to the end. And that is what I want to stop. So that's what I spend my time. And you, you made in, in the U, in the US, by the way, can get that, this book over there. Oh, really? Well. <laughs> there you go. It's called Brain Body Food. Good messages, especially about eating stuff that you're growing in the garden. If you've got time to do that. And if not, find, go to the local market where usually you find farmers have been growing stuff. Nari, good luck. Um, Thank and you, And nice Mecca. to see you in the, what, what do they call this, the mainland? No, the North Island? Yeah, the uh, North Island. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, nice to see you. I hope to see lovely you in to the see South you Island. Oh, yes. Come and come next, visit us. It's next, so lovely. Next year. It's Carl Valerius here with Bill the Bastard. Oh, you're the bloke. You're the bloke who's made the bronze of Bill the Bastard. Bloody oh, yes, and it's back in Marumbara in bronze, and it is mind blowing. Oh, I'll I'll have to. Where are you, Bill, at the moment? Uh, Bill, oh, I'm Carl. Carl, Carl sorry. <laughs> Bill's the horse. Bill's the horse. Um, yeah. I'm in the studio where you came and did an interview. That's a right. While ago. Uh, well, I was wondering how it went. You know, I was wondering if you'd. Finished... Is, I know it's been a, it, well. Some roads are longer than others, and this was. But it is my. It is absolutely outstanding. There you go. Well, uh, I... Crawford's who cast it. It's the most complex statue they have ever cast. The, the most complex? Did you say? Yeah, most complex statue they have ever cast. Just quickly telling people, uh, Bill the Bastard is the war horse from the First World War. That's right. He's the war horse from the Battle of Romani in 1916 that rescued four people. So he went almost two and a half miles with five people on him. That's right. And you did the sculpture of that. And then they've bron- yes. where did they bronze it at, uh, Carl? They bronzed it. Crawford's cast it in um, Sydney. There and, oh, the workmanship, the quality of the, the patina, the colour, the boots look like leather. Uh, the uniforms are khaki. I mean, uh, well, I'm coming. It is ju- I'm coming. I'm coming to have a look at it, uh, Carl, for sure. Uh, uh, Harden Murrumburra, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, Harden Murrumburra. And it's in the studio. You can see it. It's not outside yet, but it's got big glass doors. There's a button you push and it lights up so people can come any time to see it. All right, and, Carl, um, well done, mate. Well done. It's been a labour of love and uh, just a labour, really, but you've done well. Good on you. No, it's been great, Mac. I, mean, I, I just want people to know that so many people have been coming over the time to see a non-existent horse, and now oh, they can see it. Good on you, Carl. I'll come and see it. Thanks, mate. 13. Okay, take care. It's, uh, yeah, Mick, Mick Lambert from Jordan, West Australia. Hi, Mick. How you doing? Yeah, good, mate. Good day. Hey, Maka, what I um, rang up for, um, here I am over here. It's a beautiful sunrise. It's a beautiful day. And I look out my window and I see all our um, cray boats out there catching our uh, highly prized West Australian rock lobster. 
But um, at, at the moment, with the China-Australian trade stash, um, the Chinese aren't taking it. And, and all my friends and all the people I know up and down the coast um, in our fishing industry uh, are suffering pretty badly uh, financially and they can't go to work, deckhands and, and, and mechanics and truck drivers, et cetera, et cetera, because they're having trouble getting rid of the, uh, they can catch them. We've got plenty of craze. The craze um, are actually running at the moment, what they call the white craze season uh, is, is on right now and there's big volumes available, but we need, we need um, all Aussies to, to help us in, um, in uh, buying and supporting our local producers. I'm going uh, and- to buy one today. Where, you just go to the fish markets. You'll get a, a Western Australian lobster, will you, um, Mick? I don't know. Well, because, because it's been so highly geared up for China and people say, why did you sell exclusively to China? The answer is really simple. They were paying the money. Mm. And, you know, the world, you know, it's, it's not cheap to go fishing. You've got, you know, high cost to do that. But um, the price is probably lowest it's ever been. And at the moment, the major fishing uh, cooperatives and um, uh, uh, have managed to place their product into um, supermarkets. So you'll see, you know, like these brands like um, uh, Indian Ocean Rock Lobster and, and Jolt Fisherman's Co-op and, and the rest of it, and, and they should be flowing into the market. Plus there's scallops and there's prawns and there's all kinds of things. So, um, you know, what we only catch around about 11 million kilos or, or so a year and we're 26 million Aussies. And if one Aussie has one crayfish, mate, you know, there's a whole catch gone. Yeah. It's uh, people need to have a seafood Christmas, I think, this year, Mick. But the other thing is, you'll have to diversify. I mean, I think that's what everybody, you know, it's your grandmother saying, you know, you can't put all your basks in one exit. Um, you need to diversify, don't you, and start selling it to everywhere. Same with wine. Same with everything, really. Um, as much as we can. And and the other thing is that if China's going to behave like they're behaving, we need to maybe pull our horns in, and we'll have to have a a slightly less less uh, money, if you know what I mean. We'll do things cheaper, but we'll yeah, do well, things better. And we won't, m- yeah. m- might, m- our salaries mightn't all be quite as high as they were or whatever, but I think we'll do a lot better in the future, Mick. But it, it's a bit hard. And when you're cruising along in, in life and then all of a sudden it hits the fan, a bit like COVID turning up, you know, and all of a sudden, well, wow. COVID was, COVID was the first thing that stopped them. They, they couldn't send nothing there. Mm. It completely stopped them. They got they got rolling again. Of course, we had this stout, but you know, um, yeah. So, you know, you said uh, we got to diversify. They're already doing that. Um, you know, the Japanese want our product again, but it's got to be frozen. The Americans used to buy our frozen, but these were our craze were live and fresh. So, um, but you know, they, they reckon they're, they're the best in the um, you know the best product, cray product in the world almost. Well, yeah, but, they, but they are, and Geraldton's a great place for. We we did our program in Geraldton a couple of times, um, back in the day, yeah. and um, I Should went it. out, a, I went out on a little tinny, um, and it was quite wasn't rough, but it was a bit of swell with Lyle, my mate Lyle, who was our technical producer, and and they were standing on the beach and they couldn't see because I went, we went down and then up the boat and then the. We'd go down. They couldn't see us. They couldn't see us, and we're right near a little reef because these were these were crays that were just uh, you can you're allowed to have a couple of pots if you're just a local person, aren't you? You're just allowed to have a couple of pots somewhere. Anyone that pays a license can have them. If yeah. you want to come over from Sydney, you can you can get them. You're allowed to get 
You know, at, with, with two licensed pipes as an amateur, yeah. okay, you, you can catch eight a day. And at the moment, you know, if you're in the right spot, you're getting your eight a day because what happens to the white crayfish, they come in the shallow, they get rid of their shell, they toughen up, they walk on mass out to the edge, what they call the edge, then they catch a current and they shoot up way up past Calbarry and they spawn and then they walk back and then they'll, they'll settle maybe at the Brolis Islands wow. or maybe on the coast wherever. So, yeah, so there's, it's, it's, there's massive tonnage that's being caught, that can be caught right now, you know, and they're really sweet. I said, stop it. I haven't, stop had, it. I haven't had breakfast. Hey, and listen, I've got to apologize to you. <laughs> All right, go on. Okay. Now, when you came over here to open up the HMA Sydney Memorial, oh, yeah. um, I played a bit of music and I'm a bass player and, and we had a radio station uh, boss here called Dave Pryor who plays a bit of country over the East Coast now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they hadn't found the HMA Sydney yet and Carnarvon and Geraldton have always been competing against the other, you know, for uh, for the uh, for the right to own the the Sydney sort of that it was yeah, yeah. it was so, near us so, yeah yeah. So he got a gig up at, up at, up at the Long Jetty up Carnarvon and he said, "What are you doing?" I said, oh, "I've got to do this a sound system at the at the at the um, opening yeah and for the council and and I I can't get a bass player so I I grabbed my sixteen year old son and I said, "Right, you know." You should be able to run this without too much trouble. Well, I didn't know until I got back. There he was. He was on the radio, on the microphone going, testing, testing, testing. <laughs> and it was going all over Australia. And, and um, Well, it's live, yeah, radio, so, live, live radio, Mick. Live radio. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, well, we didn't, we didn't, re- didn't realise that, you know, and he didn't realise it. Then he thought, oh, this thing's running okay. So he shot through and it's feedback and everything. So I've been, you know, I thought if I ever spoke to you, I've got to apologise. Don't yeah. worry about it, Mick, but I'm sure all Australians would... It's like Australians help one another. There's a bit of a drought going on in, in the Burnett in Queensland and uh, Byer Bale and those sort of people have been helping them. But um, if Australians could, they'd go out and buy a lobster today um, and, and buy Australian wine. Just support, yeah. Charity yeah. begins at home, Australians, and they, I think they know that, Mick. And um, yeah, But uh, I'm amazed they walk. They walk up... You say the lobsters walk and then they walk back? Is that true or they swim no. a bit? Yeah, they they walk. Well, they they go. They do. They swim and walk, but they they are just swarmed over by their predators, like sharks and and fish that are attacking them. And you know, like, and, and I'm not kidding you. You you get a cray pot, and you you look over the side if the water the water's clear. Um, you know, it's a calm day, and you'll see this white blob coming up out of the water up towards to where the the pot tipper is. And it's just swarming with crayfish, and they're on the outside and they're inside, and it's it's an, it's it's an amazing feeling. It's a fantastic feeling when you're onto it, you know. Exactly. And um and and yeah, look, it's it's um yeah, they do. They're annual. They're yeah, they, they crawl out. The anor- out the, they they come in the shallows and they get into the sand after they shed their shell, and they're very soft. They're just like jelly. And then, as their shell toughens up, so they can take the deep water pressure, they um, they just take off, bang, wow. and then they walk out. And what the crayfishermen do, as they're walking out, they follow them out. So they may be in ten fathoms today, and the crays might be at sixteen fathoms tomorrow. 
So they put their pots there and they put their pots further out. They put their pots further out. Then they move north. As, as the crays are moving, they'll go up to another area anticipating them coming. They might sit there for a few days waiting or a week and then the pots will fill up and then there away you go. you go. Good on you, Mick. I've got to fly. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, thanks very much, mate. All the best. Good luck. Have a good Christmas. Yeah, you too, mate. See ya. Bye. G'day, this is Macca. Oh, hello, Ian. It's Cameron from St. George. How are you? Uh, good day, Cam. Yeah, good. Yeah. Look, um, I just was motivated to call because I'm, I'm a doctor and I've got some medical friends, Australian medical friends in the US, and they've got a slightly different perspective to the chap that whose letter you read out before. And I'd just oh, like to share that with you and your listeners. Yeah, go for it. Um, they're, they're in the health system over there and they're just completely overwhelmed and it's, it's quite horrific, um, for them. And, and they initially in this, in this COVID thing, they were trying to convince members of the public that this, that it's real and it's, it's a problem. Um, but they've just given up now because they'll work horrendous hours and horrendous shifts and see truly horrific, Mm. um, uh, uh, conditions and, and they walk outside and there are people that are walking around without masks saying this is not real, it's not a problem, we've got rights. And, and, and they've just given up. They've given up trying to convince their, their fellow humans that this is a, that this is a, a real crisis and it, they're, just, they're just despondent. So that's their perspective. It's different from our mates. Yeah. Well, you keep listening because you're an hour behind, but we just had a call from Paul uh, saying, yeah. saying the same thing that, that you're yeah. saying. Um, and and when did that happen? When did it start to become just a pandemic in America? Um, what's the last uh, last four weeks or so, five weeks when it's got well, really look, worse? It, it seems to have a seasonal component, and as their as their behaviours change over there, as they're spending more time inside and congregating, well, then the, the disease is getting ramping up again, um, and it's it's really getting bad again now. Now they're they're better at treating it. They've got some they've got some drugs that they can use, so that's good. But but the conditions are horrific in the hospital system. So your friends are doctors over there, and they've just given up. Isn't that a horrific story, Cam? Sorry, they haven't given up. They're still working. Yeah, still I know. But yeah, I know what you mean. But they've given up trying to convince people like our mate that phoned up that this is a problem. And, and I and think it comes back. Yeah, and as I said, to, it comes back to that that uh, thing about Americans, that war of independence. Uh, they, you know, they don't like to be told what to do. And it, it's not that they're irresponsible. It's just part of their psyche. Like here in Australia, I think we love rules. And somebody said, oh, that's because we were convicts, Ian. And we, we, convicts need, need rules. I don't know what it is, Cam, but look, thanks for your call. And um, ring us another time and let's have a, another yak. Look at the time. Well thanks, Cameron. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.